Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsChat Capable Communities Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about developing and managing human capital. Uh, I feel very lucky. Today in the studio, I've got six guests, uh, the most guests we've ever had. Uh, we just uh, pre-funked a little bit, not, a, not any drinking or anything, but we had, uh, had some lunch, and that was good. Got to know each other a little bit, but uh, we're excited to launch into it, but I'm going to let each of the guests introduce themselves briefly, and uh, first I have Steve Kubacki. Hi, I'm uh, Steve Kabaki. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm in the process of developing two apps. Uh, one uh, is a guided meditation app uh, that focuses on a mind-body healing, and then uh, another app on dating. Oh, hi, my name is Andrea Cremese. I'm a software engineer at Smartsheet, which is a SaaS business based here in Bellevue. I recently conducted a body of research for my MBA dissertation, uh, looking into motivation and psychological contract for software engineers here in the area, in the Pacific Northwest. This is Joe Connick. Uh, I'm a business development and strategy consultant. I've got over 30 years of general management experience, uh, domestically and internationally, and have helped with uh, over 12 startup businesses. Hi, my name is Aftar Faruqi, and I'm the president of Inabia Software and Consulting. We provide solution and telecom architecture work, and you can find me on my LinkedIn, Aftar Faruqi. Hi, my name is Lee Carter. I am a uh, IT consulting and professional services um, executive. I've been working in the industry for about 12 years now, and uh, staffing is a major component of what we do, so that's one of the reasons Eric has asked me to join. And I'm Rachel Alexandria. I'm a leadership and power guide. My background was as a clinical psychotherapist, and I have a specialty in conflict management and resolution. You can find me at rachelalexandria.com. So welcome, everybody. Uh, it's great to have everybody here. And uh, as I mentioned, so this episode is going to be about developing and managing human capital, and we'll get into more details soon. Okay, we're going to talk about conflict next, and our broader topic here is human resources management, but uh, specifically conflict and conflict between individuals, conflict between organizations, conflict between ideas, but we just want to explore uh, how does conflict arise, what are some different types of conflict, uh, what kinds of different conflict have we encountered in the workplace, and how to um, mitigate or work around that. And I'll, I'll hand it over to Rachel in particular, who has... Um, I think a lot of background in this area. I do have a lot of background. I, I used to be a master conflict avoider until I figured out that didn't work very well. <laughs> so I had to become an expert in how to do it well. Um, I think people really are scared of conflict and they end up going to one extreme or the other, you know, in organizations, but in, in anywhere in life, uh, they either become doormats or they become steamrollers. And even doormats will sort of shift over into steamrollers when they've been walked on too much. So being in either one of these positions actually creates what we've talked about in previous episodes. It creates crisis uh, because it's, it's chaotic. People don't know. They tend to avoid conflict or sort of try to barrel through it because they're afraid of 
their impact. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Am I going to get fired? Are people going to hate me? All of those kinds of things come up. Right. So there's, there's internal conflicts. I imagine that somebody would just perhaps be in doubt about, I, I'm not sure if I should or shouldn't do something. That is maybe a type of conflict. Can, can you give us more examples of, or give us a concrete example of a type of conflict that would be interesting to talk through? Oh, sure. I mean, we, we've talked some about toxic leadership in, in a previous episode. So I actually have several clients who were in an organization where they, they loved their manager and then that person left the organization. They brought in someone new who was good on paper, but is terrible at management. He's really great at kissing the ass of the people above him. And so the, the VP loves this person, but everybody who's underneath him is either finding other jobs or actually going into depression because he's just so chronically bad at explaining, you know, this isn't, you're not doing your job right. You know, people who've been there for 10 years, you know, you, you aren't doing this right. You don't know this and that and the other when he doesn't actually know what he's doing. Aren't the VP above them noticing the draining talent? They're not attuned with their, with their organization? So, but this is the problem is a lot of, I think what, if you're someone who's a manager or a director or, you know, anywhere in the executive team, what you have to watch out for is somebody who you get along with, who you like, you have to actually look at the impact of their actions. And that's, we were talking in a previous episode about carnage of toxic leadership. Uh, you have to actually look at not just, well, I, you know, people tend to think, well, I mean, even looking at the current, <laughs> what's just happened in politics with the whole Comey thing, you know, people say, well, how did he not know who he was dealing with? But well, you don't. You, you sort of get along with somebody until you don't. And then that's when you see, oh, I didn't realize the shark was going to bite me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, my, 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 my provocation before was, uh, is there a certain level or is there a certain VP or is there a certain timeline after which actually this toxic manager is identified or can this go on potentially indefinitely in the system? As, uh, all I can, sp- I, yeah. Do you I think, think in your mind, obviously. In my yeah. mind, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've seen something that's been happening for two years in mm-hmm. that particular wow. organization. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for two years. They already lost one of their top talent mm-hmm. because they lost them internally to mm-hmm. another department. But oh. and that person, mm-hmm. I was counseling to speak up to the higher level and, and mm-hmm. be direct about what was happening. Part of what was happening too, just to be frank, was this was a male leader. And it was a department of mostly women, and so mm-hmm. some of that dynamic was happening as well. You know, I, I, you know, the problem with these toxic managers is has a lot to do with accountability. Is there very little accountability for these people? So, you know, they may be getting reviews from uh, people, subordinates, and the subordinates are saying how horrible they are and terrible. But there's no pro- There really is no accountability. Um, and, and I think that is really the difficulty with trying to remove toxic people is a lot of organizations don't really have accountability for the people who are, you know, and higher up. Uh, and when you were talking about uh, kind of being steamrollers or uh, uh, I forget what the other term was, so doormats, I was also thinking of uh, sadomasochism. It's a little more clinical <laughs> term, but might make it a little more interesting that we have sadists and we have masochists. Uh, reminds me of a book uh, written some time ago by Lynn Chauncer called The Sadomasochism of Everyday Life, where she kind of looks at sadomasochism in the, in the workplace. Uh, but, but, you know, how do we overcome uh, sadomas? How do we overcome get rid of sadists? How do we help masochists not be masochists? 
Uh, and again, without some form of real accountability, uh, it doesn't work. Well, I was just going to say, I think when you're in the higher levels of management, what you need to look at and take seriously is when your employees, especially more than one level down, are in significant distress and to not overlook it as, oh, this person's just being emotional. You know, people don't go into significant distress when a change happens in an organization just because they kind of don't like somebody. They go into that because it's meaningful, because they don't know how to, to handle this conflict or they're not resourced to actually handle the conflict in meaningful ways that doesn't lose them their job. So, Steve, I'm going to give you kind of a very concrete example, and it goes back to things we've discussed in previous organizations or previous discussions, podcasts, where if the organization has linked its vision, values, and behaviors into the performance review system, and then equally, if the organization is willing to say, not just a 360 review, I I can take those or leave them, but that the employees are allowed to rate their boss on the same performance review criteria that says, you know, leadership, management, budget management, you know, whatever they are that are those kind of uh, behaviors that are in the performance review, and I get to rate my direct boss, and then it's all posted for our team that says, you know, he's only getting a three, and also then you skip level, you let every single employee, uh, you have them evaluate the the, the C-level suite saying, you know, whatever those leadership principles that are already in our performance reviews, you know, I see them, you rate me, I get to rate you. Now, mine is anonymous, but when they're posted, you know, this department, you know, all the managers in this department are only getting a a three, Um, you know, then it's very clear. And so this, you know, um, health of organization is about your own personal health. Do you, you know, we say, do you know your numbers? You know, which numbers are we looking for to measure the health of the organization? Yeah, well, I was going to, you know, kind of loop back around to something that Rachel was saying earlier with regard to, you know, the the manager who was really great at kissing ass, but was terrible to subordinates. The problem with, uh, you know, a lot of the ways that subordinates uh, operate, they operate under a cloud, a, a fear of retribution. So how could we actually empower them to say something because, uh, you know, the, the VP whose ass is currently being, uh, you're perpetually being kissed, isn't going to believe that the toxic manager is, is as toxic, right? So, and if it does get to the toxic manager, then how do we prevent, uh, I think this is a, is a major issue. I think on a cultural level, if I may, uh, th- th- there is a cultural lenses for this. And obviously this comes down to the, from the leadership of the organization. Then on a tactical level, one thing that we do at Smartsheet, for example, here in Bellevue, is we have skip level one-on-ones regularly, uh, which is something that you know allows a certain resource to actually bubble up something that might otherwise stop. Uh, and there is as well a culture that allows you just to grab a VP, you meet him on the corridor, it's like, I'd like to grab lunch with you. And usually the doors are open. So there, there are, to me, there are different uh, if you want, uh, 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 tactical levels. But at the end of the day, it comes down from the leadership and from the culture that they put in place. That seems like what we're all saying here maybe is there needs to be a high degree of transparency. Um, and if there's transparency, if, you know, if uh, whatever the evaluations are you know, in the lunchroom and everybody can see them, 
that may change things, but oftentimes a lot of these organizations have very little transparency. And then I think accessibility seems to be, you know, seems to be extremely important. In the example that I, I'm referencing, so here's the interesting thing, just as to throw in as a, I guess, devil's advocate. Uh, in this ex- in this example I'm referencing, there actually is a fair amount of transparency. There there is that sort of grab the VP and talk and whatever. And I I did support the clients I was working with to talk to them directly and and I actually like looked over the emails and things like that that they were sending. So there and the VP said we're very aware of this problem. You know there actually was a lot of communication about it, still not addressed. This is the interesting thing that I think happens is how hard you have to fight to get them to really understand the problem and then will they even act on it? Yeah, but sometimes people, organizations like hatchet people, you know, there are people who are there to be the hatchets and they're protected. So some of these people who are, we're saying are highly dysfunctional or have poor communication skills sometimes are there for a reason so that the executives or other people can look like, like good people uh, caring and loving, and, and uh, whereas they have a few hatchet people who do their dirty work. In this example, that wasn't the case. They were managing a team of creatives, so which is like the worst place to have a hatchet manager because creatives do not respond well to that. Well, somehow they're keeping that person. And I want to comment on Andre's uh, mention of a best practice that, that I highly believe in, which is the skip level. And uh, the challenge with that, and it's, you know, when you've got, you know, my, in my case, you know, whether I was a, a C level or one level below, that meant typically I had 120. Do the math. You know, if I've got 10 direct reports and they've all got roughly 10 or 20 or 12, and that was 120 hours twice a year. So that's six weeks out of a 52 week, you know, and then you to just, you know, it's a big time commitment. But if you make it, it goes on, was on my calendar. My secretary knew, excuse me, my administrative assistant, showing my age here, um, and the fact that I did work outside the United States, we're still allowed to call them secretaries. Uh, so uh, it, that was not, you know, th- everyone had their two hours twice a year with me, and, and that happened. But and so many people just, they just, to they, just they just back off. You know, they, oh, that can go away. I got to meet the board member. Well, no, mm-hmm. I can, you know, this idea of either or management is also, no, we can do this and that. You know, and the thing is, too, you know, you can't, it's like points you've made in earlier episodes, you can't just walk the walk, like you can't, or talk the talk and have those conversations and then not act on them. So when we're talking about conflict, it's so critical to actually get into the mess and find out what's going on and have those reparative conversations, not just with the person having the complaint. But, you know, as as some kind of group effort, for example, or have rehabilitative processes for people who are not managing well. I wanted to just go back to one of Joe's point. And um, in one of the one, especially especially one of the interviews I recently conducted, I started interviewing engineering managers here in the Pacific Northwest. And one of them is in charge of an extremely large uh, 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 division in a very large player here. So. Take your pick. There are a couple of them. Uh, and he purposefully told me that he restricted the direct reports within his org. And we're talking about 900 engineers or whatnot. He restricted everybody not to have more than five or six direct reports, which made he, he was aware that made the organization deeper. But it, uh, it awarded more care and allowed him to have skip levels and all this and have a, 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 
uh, an increased amount of, if you want, time, obviously, because, I mean, a minute is a minute for everybody. And that was a way that he, a trade-off that he was aware of making in making that decision. So earlier we talked about the military model, and it's good, bad, or indifferent. But when you, first-level managers in the military only can have four direct reports. You know, and it isn't until they've been in a leadership management role for many years that they get up to that 8, 10, or 12. And many times, how many times is a first-line supervisor, first time they've ever done it, they've got 10 or 20 or 30 people? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impo- that's impossible. And so what, you know, what happens is you try to do these best practices in those kinds of environments. It it's physically becomes impossible. Yeah, that, that is kind of a, conver- uh, a comment about risk and authorization where in the beginning it's a good management practice to uh, put sideboards on how big of, of a, a risk do you release to the to the new manager and then over time they earn more stripes or what have you more more people and staff as as they as they trust, but it's a con- controlled system. Rachel, any other thoughts? Or I thought just you said cyborgs for a second. Cyborgs. <laughs> what did I? Oh, sideboards. Yeah, I learned that. I worked with the U.S. Forest Service for a while, and I had a manager there. It put sideboards. It's basically to say, you know, controls or whatever. It's better whatever. than cyborgs, I think. I wanted I think to talk so. about creative cyborgs, cyborgs but yeah. that will not, not going to work. No. What, some, something that I wanted to mention, actually, we talked in a previous episode about uh, innovation and providing paths for ideas to percolate up, and Ideally, obviously, in a you know in an ideal world, a complaint about a manager will follow a similar path. So the similar path to bubble up ideas and emergent R and D would actually be the path that is used for this. Now, obviously, I'm aware that not every industry is like tech, where you know we we have a an extreme focus on innovation because otherwise we're dead. But ideally, that will be, at least in my mind, if I wanted to connect with the previous episode, that will be a, a, a an acid test if I have in my organization that path. Uh, that will inform both. It will, it, let me phrase it this way. If those kind of issues don't percolate up, uh, it means that I also don't have a clear path up for, R, for R&D and for innovation. So what's interesting is tech sometimes can be notorious for having um, poor interrelationships. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a great idea, but I think, you know, I, I think what's interesting is how do we encourage more of the the human component. And I know I've brought up empathy before, which we don't ever end up actually talking a lot about. Mm. But how do how do you how do we train people and, and ourselves to respond more to what what we refer to as the maintenance? You know, we get so focused on task and we don't really do a lot of the maintenance work of how do I care for you? How do you care for me? How do I understand what your particular concerns are? How do we get into this conflict and what's really triggering you? A lot of times we just tend to push past it because uh, it's not, yeah. it's not making the money. I, I think uh, I to go back to Joe's idea of serving. Uh, NPC is clearly part of that. There are some people who just are not terribly empathic. They may be kind of Aspergery or kind of you know very self-absorbed. Doesn't mean they don't care about people. Uh, doesn't mean they don't want to serve. And I they think they have a hard time at, reading. Yeah, but I think serving is a really important part. And when you make serving, I mean, you know, our planet is is, you know, being stressed out. We have climate change. Uh, we have, you know, destruction of our, of, you know, our forests. I mean, lots of things are going on. Pollution, 
Uh, and I think one way to motivate people is to have them to serve. And when people are serving larger ideas, like how do we make this planet work? How do we make this? How do we survive as a species on along? this planet? That can be very incredibly motivating to people. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of corporations who sort of kind of bring that into into the mix of what they want their employees to do. So it's not just you know how can we make a better profit for this corporation or bring out new innovation. But one way I think to motivate and get people into serving is to get them into larger ideas. Yeah, I think that one of the things that people care almost more about than money, almost, is meaning. I would say they care more about meaning. I think meaning is... Purpose. Most people are into meaning and purpose and connecting with others. I think money is kind of down. I mean, if you're starving or yeah. you're really you struggling, yeah, you need yeah. your water. But, but I think you know when when you when you're sort of made it financially, you're not worrying about you know paying your mortgage or something. It's meaning and purpose. So, Steve, you mentioned earlier about not wanting the organization to get too deeply into any of your personal life. So you may not uh, you may object to this uh, approach as well. But one activity that I have found very very helpful in in helping to resolve conflict and to build empathy is inside the organization as you're, as you're talking to new employees specifically about the organizational's values, have a personal values exercise uh, for them to go through as a group and share it. And even when I've gone into organizations where the values are, we have to transform them, or an organization where they haven't been laid down, you take an organization, a group of people, if, if we were to start right here, and I gave you a list of 15 and said, you know, add whatever you want and say, hey, pick 10. You know, and then I said, no, you can't have 10, and you can only have eight. And then I said, no, no, you can only have five. But make it the five that you would fight and die for, personally. And then we started sharing them. We would find out, and I've done this around the world on almost, you know, you know different cultures, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you'll be surprised how much more aligned we are on our personal values. You know, it's family. It's, you know, faith of some type. You know, go down the list. Then we are on our business values or our political values or anything else. So I found in organizations to say, okay, this is a process that, you know, what, these are your personal values. We have a lot in common. Now let's, now let's architect how they map to business values. And business values are very different um, than personal values in terms of the kinds of categories, you know, but both are based on decision-making. Your values guide decision-making and organizations who get this right have values that they can filter decision-making for. So if you see any organization who has a value like customer service, that's not a value, that's a behavior. I I completely agree. I think think looking at personal values and the way you're talking about is correct. My my concern was about businesses looking at my Facebook, uh, looking at all sorts of information about me personally, and then, of course, then using that information against us. Uh, and not actually be using it in a way to actually strengthen people's connectedness and sense of trust and transparency. So that was my concern. Yeah, and that, that goes back to this data thing and security privacy, which actually takes us maybe a pretty good uh, segue. So this conversation had been about uh, human resources management, and uh, we were just talking about conflict. One uh, comment I wanted to make about Conflict, and we'll see if there's any comments about this, and then we'll we'll try to wrap up this episode and series about human resources. But um, conflict, to me, when I was thinking about listening to people uh, talking about it, it's clearly friction in an organization, and 
Um, I, I don't know what exactly the levers are to reduce conflict and and or eliminate conflict, but clearly this is uh, if if one were to grease the skids of an organization, there would be less conflict. There would be le- fewer conflicts. I, I I yes, possibly. I just wanted to throw a wrench in the works that conflict may not be necessarily bad. Conflict as friction and yeah, ideas may come from conflict. Uh, even uh, a portion, and again, the, some of the managers that I spoke with and the engineering managers, some level of healthy competition among the engineers. Obviously, you know, oh, I'm trying to code faster than you on a millisecond level. Then no, we're going a little bit too 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 far away. But a healthy level of conflict, a healthy level of competition, I think it's good. So yeah, I would say open uh, conflict. Yeah, it's, it's the problem is, is conflict goes underground or becomes passive aggressive. Aggressive, and that we need conflict. We need we need sharing ideas. We need differences. We don't have to call it conflict. Let's just say it's differences. We need differences, and differences are important. That's what brings about change. Yeah, it's it's learning how to have what we perceive as difficult conversations, and I think we think of them as difficult. This is actually the main issue. It's how we define and diagnose it. If we think of conflict as something terrible and to be avoided, then it goes underground and it becomes something that festers and kills off your employees, frankly. But when you think about it as something to um, something to be engaged in productively, to step into and see, I mean, yeah, it's volcanic soil. That's true, but that's also very fertile. Yeah, and then conflict leads to ideological Darwinism. You know, the best idea is going to win. So, um, well, well, I'm not sure that uh, these days we want to go that route. Sometimes the most powerful person is always wins. Let's take the long view of that. Let's 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 talk in a few years. Sure, there you go. That's a, that's a fair point. But um, yeah, yeah I, I know. We're all social Darwinists. <laughs> all right. So this is the Abstract Capable Communities podcast. My name is Eric Veal. I want to thank Steve, Joe, Andrea. Lee, Rachel, and Aftab uh, for being on the show today and for Christian for producing us. Uh, this was a series about managing human capital, developing people, basically, and, and organizations. And uh, thanks for listening. Next time and on the next series, we'll talk about management of information technology. So we'll start to geek out on non-human topics, data and systems and tools and apps. So looking forward to that. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. For anybody who's more interested in learning about how to manage conflict more productively and how to not get so triggered and fall off the wagon, running away, becoming a steamroller or a doormat, you can talk to me at rachelalexandria.com and I actually have a program called Power Embodied that teaches you exactly how to have, engage in and have productive, successful conflict to move you forward. And that's rachelalexandria.com slash power. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at abstract.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to abstract.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic in the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com.